Hey, everybody, this is Chris and Harrison, co-founders of BatBnB, and we beat the often path by rewriting the narrative around bats and redefining the modern bat house industry. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase two things, people who have found personal success and fulfillment doing highly unusual things, and also people who are making a critical difference for our planet. The goal here is to help us all see the bigger picture in our lives and our careers, and help us understand that win-wins really are possible for us and the planet. Today, we talk about bats. Now, if ever there was something or someone in need of a massive PR campaign, it's bats. They've been just so incredibly misunderstood. And we've got two founders here of BatBnB, a company that has seen success on Shark Tank and big backing. And BatBnB is a company that aims to provide a habitat for bats that we can all put in our own yards and our own backyards to help improve and increase the bat population. I think you'll agree that their mission is profound, that they're doing something really cool, and they've found meaning in their own lives. So again, it's one of those win-win-wins that we love on this show. So without much further ado, here's Harrison Broadhurst and Christopher Ranafors, co-founders of Bat BNB. Well, welcome to you both, Harrison and Chris. Pleasure to have you on the show. What is the idea that you guys have? Yeah, so basically our business called Bat BNB, kind of Airbnb, but for bats, right? Yep. So we sell these uh, designer bat houses. And all you really want to think about it as it's a home for bats, just like a birdhouse, um, that bats will come and roost in and live and have their pups um, and go out and hunt mosquitoes and other insects at night. Um, so it's really, we sell to farms, to residences, to breweries, to wineries. So we sell to public parks. Uh, it's really anyone that wants to mitigate mosquitoes and pests in their area. Because um, a lot of people don't know a common bat will eat up to a thousand mosquito-sized insects an hour, which is insane, uh, insanely impressive pest control, right? Yes. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of the basic product that we sell is these really high-quality designer bat houses. Okay, and I've seen them, and they do look fantastic. They're very sleek. They tuck under an awning, I guess you would say. They they enter from the bottom. Is that how it works? They fly up inside? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's um, basically there's just a series of chambers um, in, in bat houses, and so the bats land at the bottom, crawl up inside, and they just hang out in there. And um, so you hang them in, in kind of a warm, uh, you know, sunny spot. And that's why bats are attracted to the, to, um, uh, to the bat houses. Cause they, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a natural, um, it mimics the natural, their natural, uh, habitat. So, which is the peeling part, peeling bark on a dying tree. Okay. Yeah. So when bats look for a place to live after hibernation, they'll just tuck up under a tree and our chambers mimic that, and the, ours, ours becomes kind of like the luxury real estate of the <laughs> bat house options out there. So when bats are looking around, they find one of one of our houses. That's where they want to be. And and I think as we as we looked into the bat house industry when we first got started with this, a lot of bat houses out there they they either are suffering from just really poorly designed for the animal, like they either have weird sticky mesh, they don't have proper ventilation, like bats will not want to live there. Uh, or they're just really ugly looking. They're these little boring pine boxes. They don't look good in your yard. No one wants to look at them. So we really tried to innovate on, on partnering with biologists to make like the perfect um, model for the animal's needs, uh, but then also making something that's nice to look at. So Ross, when you get a bat house and bat being and put up in your yard, yep. your neighbors come over and like, 
Ross, what the hell is that thing? Like that, what is that? And you're like, well, well, wait, let me, let me tell you about it. Let me educate you. Let me teach you about bats. Um, and that's a big part of what we're doing is, is kickstarting that word of mouth around this animal that is to, to your joke, even kicking this thing off, very misunderstood in today's Clearly. world. Um, yeah. But if there's one thing that I think we can all agree on, and funnily enough, especially in my little neighborhood, mosquitoes, I think we can all agree on our hatred of mosquitoes. So I think my neighbors would certainly appreciate that because we've got tons of them. We've got tiki torches that claim to get rid of mosquitoes. I don't know if that works at all. I have a feeling that it doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, right? The market keeps trying to think of ways to combat mosquitoes, and all it really mm -hmm. comes up with is, for the most part, whether it's, yeah, yeah, tiki torches, but more so pesticides. Just pesticides, pesticides, pesticides. When we started this thing, it was the year when Zika was in the media like crazy, right? And yeah. All the market responded with, we go to Home Depot and Walgreens and, and other stores and see like just tons and tons of brands of pesticides that nobody likes. Mm -hmm. um, so like it's, it's really important to invest in better natural solutions that aren't going to be an end-all solution, um, but are going to be something in your portfolio of natural solutions to help combat uh, mosquitoes and garden pests. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell already this is going to be a wonderful episode. I'm very excited to go into detail on this. But first, yeah. I think the question that everybody's going to want to know is how on earth did you come up with this idea? How did you land on I mean, it's perfect for the show, but how did you get the idea at all? Yeah, so it was a, I think it was a weird, <laughs> an oddball origin story. Um, and I think we, we think about this often where when you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs or when you think, actually, when you think about entrepreneurs, you often think like, oh, they had this amazing light bulb idea and it just came to them in a flash and oh my gosh like then they just went for it and built in like oh i wish i could have that lightning idea i call bullshit on that like that that is so rare that that is the case and the more realistic pathway that you have to create for yourself is saying hey i want to do something i don't know what yet but i'm going to commit to doing something and i'm going to figure out what that is and, and that's how harris and i got into this and kind of the real story too is both our wives at the time were in medical school um, and Harris and I would hang out after work at our, after our day jobs and we'd play video games and just sit there on the couch and we realized one night that while we were goofing, goofing off, both our wives were up till like 3 a.m. literally saving children's lives in the hospital. <laughs> so we just looked at ourselves and we're like, shit, we are trash people compared to our wives and we need to be better. So that's when we kind of set out like we want to do something We've been following crowdfunding campaigns for a while. Harrison's a really talented architect. I enjoy some woodworking as a hobby and, and have a startup background. So we were like, how do we bring all these things together? And we just kind of created a plan um, with our family, like buying into it of like, we're going to meet twice a week for the next four months and we're just going to brainstorm. And, and we'd like go, we put ourselves in, in environments of constant stimulus. So like we'd spend four hours a at a time just walking down the wall, uh, halls of, of Walmart and we'd just be like, what if we took that and smashed it with this or took the head off of this thing and put it onto that or mixed this with this thing? And eventually we found we're in the gardening area, saw birdhouses and saw the pesticides. And Harrison's mom used to teach bat, bats in biology class. And I built a bat house growing up with my dad and kind of just slowly the different sparks came together and the inspiration came out of that process. And it was a weird process and lots of other ideas were left on the table, but then you just find the one you're excited about and then you just go for it. That's brilliant. So you Frankenstein this idea together. 
Oh, yeah. Which is something that not a lot of people talk about. You're right. But I, this appeals to me because I feel like if I ever strike gold, it's going to be along those lines. It's going to be weeks of thinking and brainstorming and trying to figure out how all the pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. How long did that process take you, would you say, before you said, this is the idea? What do you think it was? Um, I want to say a month or maybe That's a little bad. bit more. I think, I, think it was, I think it was at least two months until we like came into the realm of bats as even a concept yeah but i think it took us at least five months total to decide like all right this is actually what we're gonna go for here yeah because even when we came on the on the idea of bats and bat houses we were still like well shit is there a market for this like would people buy this is this a crazy waste of time like we weren't sure at the beginning but the more we researched and and learned about the space and about the animal and like yes we we are a small like for-profit business but we really approached this with like genuine appreciation for the mission of like educating people around this important animal mm-hmm. and, and rewriting the narrative uh, around the animal when there's so much confusion about the value that bats uh, offer us. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we, whenever we were talking, we kind of like identified some, some common um, passions that Chris and I had. Um, and that kind of went back to, you know, to our parents and learning about wildlife from them. And, and, um, Chris's dad supports, uh, what is it? World wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my mom, um, was, uh, into conservation and, um, taught middle school science. So, um, so yeah, so we just, we, we knew that we wanted to do something around those things that we were passionate about. Yeah. And I think that's a thread we can touch on more Ross too, if you'd like, where sure. you see a lot of entrepreneurs out there choosing products or topics purely because they think it can net them the most money or make the most profits in the shortest amount of time. Yes. Reflecting back on our past, what, four or five years of doing that B&B, like we have had, we've had an astonishing amount of like success and media exposure and amazing opportunities created for us that we would never have anticipated when we started out. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of that came about because we chose this idea, not because we thought we were going to be multimillionaires off the bat house industry. We chose it because we really love this topic and we're excited about the mission we were creating. And that just naturally led to what I think has been amazing success for the business. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah, the real money's in bat houses. That's what you said. <laughs> like, we're going to strike it rich. They don't teach, they don't teach you in business. The real so. money is in the bats. There uh, you go. That's that's uh, such a great point. Well, not on this show, I was going to say. I, I specifically don't care about the stories of people who just <laughs> wanted to get rich for the sake of being rich. I have a natural disdain for that. And the thesis or the hypothesis or premise of this show, if you will, is that there is more to life than uh, simply just how much money can we make? Who can make the most money? Who can work the hardest? So this fits neatly into my narrative. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, were you dimly aware prior to this journey that a bat would eat a thousand mosquitoes or mosquito-sized insects, or was that something that you discovered along the way? Uh, I think we had known from that previous exposure, especially you and your mom, that like they ate insects, but mm-hmm. we didn't know until we dug into the research like how much they actually impacted. I, I think I might be getting the figure slightly wrong. But I think the stat is that bats save U.S. agriculture as a whole over $26 billion a year just in savings um, that they would have otherwise spent on pesticide. 
which is amazing. Um, and like another kind of the macroeconomic impact of the decline of bat populations over the past couple of decades. Um, when you look at figures like that, so like their, mm-hmm. their overall impact against pest populations is, is impressive. Yeah. And I, I think that stat is even taken after white nose syndrome had already started. Um, mm-hmm. and so, so bat populations were already decreased. Um, so, I mean, they continue to, to decrease, but, uh, that, you know, they could be saving agriculture even even more money. Introducing the latest blockbuster from DC Comics, Batman Origins Begins Origins. Enter the bat. You've seen Batman conquer a whole bunch of stuff. You've seen a bunch of different actors in a bunch of different Batman suits, some more hilarious than others. You know that Batman was traumatized by bats in his childhood, making bats more powerful than Batman. And now we tell a different side of the story. Before there was Batman, there were some bats sleeping by day, insect eaters by night. This summer, Mahershala Ali stars as the Bat. Not Batman, but the Bat that influenced Batman. To be clear, this movie is about bats and bats only. No man, just bats. Coming soon to a streaming platform near you. Well, it seems like if any creature needs a PR person or firm, it's bats, apparently, because they seem to be perhaps now less popular than ever, if I had to guess. Um, I'll just cut right into it. I'm sure that the fear that a lot of people would have is they're imagining being outside. Sure, there's no mosquitoes, but a bat swoops down, bites you in the arm or something like that, and boom, you've got a horrible disease. That's clearly what I imagine people are thinking of who know nothing about bats. Yep. Yeah. Ever, ever since that guy, uh, Bram Stoker decided to write that, that old novel Dracula, <laughs> Dracula. Back in the day, um, he just sparked off this big bad wolf syndrome that bats have suffered from ever since. Right. And I think you're right where when people think bats, they think, Oh, they're going to swoop in my, uh, swoop into my hair or they're going to give me rabies or drink, drink my blood and like scary, scary, scary stuff. But when you kind of take a rational step back and look at the data and the statistics, you recognize that so much of that fear is unfounded, right? Mm. Like the rates of transmission of rabies from bats to humans across North America over the past many, many years is very, very, very small. Um, Like the odds of getting harmed by a bat, like tiny, like I, I need to check our statistics to give you the exact figure, but like, it's not something that you need to be afraid about in your day-to-day life. Vampire bats, like another very misunderstood um, uh, animal, like they are common in Central and South America. They mostly feed on, on cattle and, and other animals. It's very rare as well that they um, attack humans. Bats are afraid of people. Like they don't want to be near us. Like they, they are just up to their own thing, flying around, eating insects. That said, like, we're not going to say that rabies doesn't exist. Like, if you ever come into close contact with a bat, like, absolutely, you should head to a medical facility, get yourself checked out. Like, that's just a smart thing to do as a human being. But it's the same thing as, like, if you ever touch a wild raccoon or a wild mm-hmm. skunk or, like, another wild animal, like, as we you shouldn't all do. be doing that. And, and we've also, like, if you look at the folks who have gotten rabies from bats, again, very, very few people most of them are some dummy who saw a sick bat on the ground and said, Oh, I'm going to go over there and pick that thing up. And it's like, come on. Like if you have common sense and you're smart, like, and the reality is in North America, bats live all around us. 
Like if you take the time to look up in the evening, like I guarantee you, like you're probably going to see some bats if you pay attention. Like they're already there. They just need to be respected and appreciated and valued and just don't fear them because if you take from the, if you look at the conservation angle, like bats have been declining by the, I think hundreds of millions over the past Whoa. decade. Um, and nobody knows, right? And like, that's no. a big part of what we're trying to do is kind of model a lot after the Save the Bees movement to help educate people to even pay attention <laughs> to how bats are suffering. Um, because at the end of the day, like we all need to do our part for conservation. And right now no one's paying attention to bats and we're going to make people pay attention. Yep. So M. Night Shyamalan just needs to make a movie where bats are the, the disappearance of bats leads to the downfall of the human species. I, I and may, then we're I good. May not, I may or may not have tried to email multiple uh, Batman actors over the past few years. <laughs> hey, None have worked out yet. That's smart. I not hope. That is smart. Well, there's a new one now, right? They just switched. Who's the new one? Is it Zach? Ever- oh, that's not right. I think it's Robert, Robert Pattinson. Robert right? Pattinson. Yeah, Zach Ever- I was I knew it was one of the teenage stars of, of old. <laughs> recent old um but why are they diminishing what what is causing this rapid decline yeah so it's it's three main causes um so i think the the first one of course is deforestation we're all aware of that natural habitat loss that is their natural roosting area everybody stop cutting down trees like that's the number one uh the second one and third one actually there's debate on which one is causing the most deaths right now but um, the most common like historical one that people are aware of is white nose syndrome. Mm. Um, and if you don't know what that is, there's a lot of I science don't. behind it. But essentially, it's this fungus, and correct me if I say anything wrong, Harrison, that came over from Europe back in the day um, and essentially grows on the noses and faces of the bats when they're hibernating over winter. And long story short, you can think of it as that it kind of wakes the bats up. Um, and it causes them to like lose their fat stores because they can't get back into hibernating state. And then they just die in the winter. And it's really sad, spread like crazy in North America. Scientists have tried like hell to try and stop it spreading. It hasn't worked. And honestly, there's a debate on like what the next steps are forward. But a lot of what folks scientists are looking at now are just encouraging uh, recent populations that have emerged resistant to white nose syndrome and encouraging those populations to grow and thrive. And then the final source, which is a, a tricky one, um, is a, a wind, uh, what do they call it? Wind generators, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah, wind, wind turbines. Wind turbines, turbines. sorry. Oh, uh, wind turbines. So we all, yeah, so we all love wind turbines, right? right? Like eight alternative source of energy, but it always comes with a, a side effect, right? And wind turbines, when those blades are turning, they attract a lot of the insect population nearby and who hunts insects, birds, bats. And so birds and bats are coming to those blades. And it's really sad uh, that the loss of air pressure around the blades can actually cause internal bleeding in the lungs of the bats and birds. So it's causing a lot of avian life and bat uh, death. So if you go to kind of bat conservation conferences today, a lot of the debate and conversation is around, hey, how do we negotiate with wind turbine companies to, hey, if we reduce fan speed around this time of night when most feeding is taking place for bats, what's the energy loss output versus saving the animal life percentage? Like, so that's, that's kind of a common thread. So those are the three biggest causes of of loss in the bat population. That's heartbreaking that that is the cause. Something that we also need so much is the cause. Mm -hmm. Um, Dang. 
Well, what about, all right, so in addition to mosquitoes, what other kinds of pests do they get rid of? Um, yeah, I mean. Or is it just uh, mainly mosquitoes? No, it's a ton. It's a, I'm going to pull up our little uh, section here where we cover off a lot of them, but they stink bugs. Uh, Japanese garden beetles is one Ooh, that they yeah. love. We, we get a lot of those right here. Yeah, we sell a lot to just kind of backyard gardeners and not even folks who really care too much about the mosquito issue, but just they love protecting their their gardens. So like cucumber beetles they love, leaf hoppers, army worm moths. Um, so a lot of those backyard critters that will just destroy uh, your tomato plants and your cucumber plants, everything we, we love. That's great. So is, is there a problem that they don't have enough places to stay? That's something we haven't touched on. Is that an issue? They don't have places that they can hibernate safely? So hibernating is not too much of an issue because, I mean, they're going to find caves and caving systems and so on that they go to every year. I think for bat B&Bs and, and bat houses in general, that is offering them a roost during the spring, summer, and fall period when they're not hibernating, right? And those are those critical months um, when they are having new pups, regrowing the population, and they need a safe place to stay. And as Harrison mentioned, right, like their natural habitat is underneath the peeling bark of a dying tree. And if you're a mama bat who uh, only has one pup a season, like they only have one pup a year, if you got to keep that baby safe. If you're living under peeling bark on a dying tree, well, shit, what are you worried about if that bark comes off, right? Yeah. So, like, you need to have multiple real estate options nearby, and bats will often scout to find places with multiple options. And with deforestation, with the risk of dying trees, like, bat B&Bs are the luxury condo deluxe, right? <laughs> right. Like, find one of these, it's not going to break apart, it's going to be there year over year. Like, you have lucked out if you're a bat and find one of these, because then you can just really be safe and secure in that roost, get great sunlight, and just focus on eating and taking care of your family, which is what we all want to do, right? Um, yeah. That's great. And if I just put one up, if I just tacked one onto the side of my house right now, bats will show up? Um, it's it's hard to say uh, for sure. Um, if, if you've seen bats in the area, then that's a good um, indication. You also have to hang it correctly. Um, so, so yeah, we have on our website, we have, uh, some guidelines, um, for how to do that. Um, the main thing is sunlight, um, and making sure you get your, you know, your orientation correct as the sun moves across the sky, you're, you're still getting that sunlight. Um, uh, so yeah. So if you follow those guidelines, then you have pretty high chances. Yeah, the most common mistake we see people make, um, is that they put up their bat house in a tree. Uh, and you really don't want to do that for two reasons. First, like Harrison's saying, is that the branches will often uh, cloud a lot of the sunlight, so you won't get enough sun. But the second one is just branches. Who likes to hang out on branches? Owls, birds of prey. And if you got an owl right next to your bat house, that's just like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Oh, really? Uh, you really want to make sure it's at least like 20 feet away from the nearest trees. So really ideal spots are either on a barn, a shed, on the side of your house, over a low-use garden bed, um, uh, a lot of people put them up on posts, um, is a great way to do it. Cause you got a lot of direct sunlight. They love mm -hmm. the clearance. Um, yeah, so plenty, plenty of options, but I mean, we, we have such an amazing community, uh, of bat lovers. Like we have people putting it on the front of their houses and like all this cool stuff and they're painting them these amazing mm -hmm. designs. Like yeah. it's been really inspiring to, to see all the bat lovers out there 
embracing what they can do with the bathhouse and where they can put it and mm-hmm. this and that. That's uh, that's really wonderful. And as somebody who has been bitten by about 15 mosquitoes a night for the last four months, five months in a row, I haven't ever been bitten by a bat. I can say that, knock on wood, safely. Not once in my whole life. Yeah. So it seems like mosquitoes would be a bigger problem in general. I mean, we all, I'm sure the st- statistics bear it out. The number of diseases and sicknesses and horrible things caused by mosquitoes must outweigh anything that bats have ever done by what a billion oh, times the most deadly animal in the on, on the planet i think oh yeah <laughs> but do, do so. you think i've often wondered this and i'm a very eco-friendly i believe in the interconnectedness of all things on earth but what would happen if we if we somehow eradicated all mosquitoes from the world would it be chaos or would it just be fine is that a risk that we should be willing to take no i think that's probably the wrong direction right because i mean obviously <laughs> Yeah, it seems so nice, right? Yeah, in theory, it seems so nice. It would be a better world, but at the end of the day, like it's all about that sensitive balance, right? Like, mm-hmm. who eats mosquito? Like, if mosquitoes are gone. Think of everybody that eats them, and then this and that, and then like bees disappear, all the food disappears, and everything just has to have this nice balance. And I don't know, it's tough as human beings, right? Where we have messed so much up, and now with a lot of conservation, we're trying to alter the balance in the opposite direction and sometimes we overstep and sometimes we break things and sometimes there are more secondary side effects and i don't know it's a tough conservation is a tough game to play on like how much to change how much to break and how much to try and fix and what the repercussions of that is versus letting the natural world kind of figure itself out but mm-hmm. clearly letting it figure itself out is not good enough anymore like we're it's almost a little too late that we're trying to do but mm-hmm. we're all going to do our piece yeah. Yep, that's so true. Well, let's go back then to the to the business side of this. So you came with the idea, you said you were experimenting or you were thinking about crowdfunding, which is a path that I believe you ultimately went on. So once you solidified the idea for this business, what was the next step that you took to bring it to life? Yeah, so I think as we solidified the idea, then we tried to figure out, all right, what is our go-to-market plan? Uh, and I think this is an, another really important point we talk about a lot with aspiring entrepreneurs out there where so many folks who want to start a business, they think that, well, shit, I got to drain my bank account. I got to never see my family and friends again. I got to quit my day job. Like you just got to go it all, like make it big or, or nothing. And like, again, bullshit, like in today's modern world with the tools we have available to us and the automation and operations available to us, like you can build a thriving small business while keeping your day job, spending time with your wife, having kids, getting promoted at your day job. Like we did all these things. Like Harrison, I still have day jobs today. Okay. Um, but yet we built this small profitable business. And so when we started this thing out, we wanted to be really smart about how we brought it to market and how we built a sustainable operation around it. Um, So for us, we went with crowdfunding because this was a very low risk uh, pathway to the market, right? Where with crowdfunding, for those who aren't familiar, you essentially use a platform like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, we used Indiegogo. You create a video telling people about what you're doing, what you're excited about, what your product's gonna be um, in whatever stage you're at and say, hey, fund us, like fund us and we'll bring you a product in five months from now, right? Um, And we were smart where this is another pitfall, I think 
entrepreneurs fall into is where they will go years and years building their product and never tell a soul about it. And then when they're finally ready, they unveil it to the world and say, hey, here, look at my beautiful thing. And crickets. Because they haven't told anybody about it. So what we really focused on was from as soon as we had a napkin sketch, we started our Instagram, we started our website. Our website was just, hey, we're trying to do something crazy with bats. Sign up here if you want to learn more. So by the time we launched on crowdfunding, we had over two, like 2,000 people who had given us their emails who said they were excited. And then we emailed all those people, got them into it, and we raised over $100,000 in crowdfunding, which was more than enough to get us off the ground. We took on no debt. We probably put collectively like five, $6,000 into the business of our own money. Uh, and then we found a manufacturing partner uh, who's been outstanding. We still work with them today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then we started building them and shipping them out, and then we took it from there. Uh, I think a step I, I skipped over in the story too was uh, like being very cognizant of what skills we brought to the table um, and what gaps we had. Right, where Harrison is an amazing fabricator, architect, building this thing after hours in um, in the wood shop. I had all the startup marketing uh, business expertise, but like we didn't, we weren't biologists. Like we didn't know everything that was right for the animal. Um, so we we partnered with this amazing biologist called Merlin Tuttle. Um, he's kind of we love we lovingly call him the Beyonce of the bat world. He's like <laughs> the coolest guy ever. He's been doing bats since probably since he was like a teenager. Um, and so he partnered with us to make sure we made like the perfect bat house again: ventilation, proper grip, proper size, um, indoor swimming proud. pool, elevator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all all the amenities, right? And. We're very proud to be one of the very few bat houses that he's ever personally endorsed in his career. Um, and we have a great partnership with him today. Um, definitely check out uh, Merlin Tuttle's Bat Conservation if you want to learn more about the animal. Um, they do really amazing work over there. That's awesome. And the, the first 2,000 signups, was that just word of mouth? You just literally published a page? How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, when you're starting anything out, right, it's like you just got to be scrappy and, okay. and wild. Like I would starting on Instagram, like be honest, like our early followers, like we're the goth community of Instagram where a lot of the goth community just love anything bats. So I was like, all right, let's, we're doing something with bats. Come check us out. And we started getting some followers and likes and then it grows. And then you tell your friends, your friends, tell your friends, you start creating good content and then you slowly roll it out. And I think for us, we chose such a niche topic, right? Where we were able to build a really tight community of just bat lovers. And there's not, it's not a super crowded space. And we were kind of a new refreshing uh, thing in the world of bats. And we did, I think we have great visuals and engaging content. And we were smart with how we did social media and contests and giveaways. And it's just, you will be blown away that when you pour your passion into something and share it uh, with the world, like you'll just be amazed by the people you'll meet out there. And like a couple examples, we had a fan out in Singapore where at the time, like we had no ability to ship a bat house out of Singapore. We had no idea what to do. We had no idea international shipping fees, whatever, but she just loved what we were doing. And she did this cool like metal art stuff. And she just said, Hey, can I send you a metal art of your logo? just for free. And she just sent it to us. Ooh. And the man put it on social media. It was so cool. Ooh. But she loved what we were doing and wanted to help out. And then we had another one where uh, a guy, he thought our bat house was too expensive. 
but he was really inspired by what we were doing. So he built his own in his backyard and gave it to his dad for Father's Day. We shared that on social media and that was so cool. And just these moments of like people being excited about what you're doing. And if you just really cultivate and engage with that audience, like things just start happening. And like, I just think about when we first, when we first hired a first part-time employee, we just threw it out to the community of like, Hey, we're hiring this community manager, like anyone interested. And we were expecting crickets. I think we had, we had 26 applications, like really outstanding applications. Um, And we were just floored, like, Oh my God, like people are really connecting with this brand and this mission and what we're doing. And yeah, so I think that was a long winded answer to what you you were asking, but (laughs) it's, like really what we did early days to be successful was just really cultivate that community around what you're doing and you'll be surprised at, at who shows up for you. And is this a thing that 3D printing can solve? Because I've been told that 3D printing is the answer to everything. Is that, that's, what they keep, that's what they keep telling They keep us. saying it. Yeah. Is that something that you foresee using? Like here's the plans or a 3D printing model for DIY or is that a bridge too far? Um. Uh, not in the near future, not until sure. printing material is, uh, you know, much cheaper. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for us, like there are some bad houses out there that are made of various plastics that like, yeah, you can imagine like a plastic kit print your own, but to be honest, like we were kind of more, we only use Western red cedar, like really high quality, sustainably sourced cedar. So like <laughs> that's not going to be 3d printed anytime soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. We run CNC machinery on cutting those parts. And, yeah. That's that's brilliant. And it's funny you should mention that because what who will air one or two before this episode, I talked with a guy who uh, he has a company that reclaims urban trees. So a lot of urban trees, they are sick and they're just burned or destroyed. But he reclaims that wood and he uses that wood for stuff like that. So perhaps a potential partnership in the future. Maybe I'll Love put it. you guys we've in touch. Got, we've got some cedar. Send it our way. Cedar prices have been skyrocketing the past couple of years. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the whole idea, depending on which municipality it is, some places that have cedar. So anyways, I'll definitely link you guys. I think that could be of use. Who knows? And of course, we couldn't go through this episode without talking at least for a little bit about the fact that you were on the season finale of abc's shark tank yeah so was this pre or post indiegogo and what was the thought there yeah so this was post indiegogo um it was actually we'd already been on another television show called uh, cbs's innovation nation with mo rocca okay um which was also an amazing experience um they had a team fly out to lexington kentucky just to spend a few days with us and learn about bats and we loved that episode as well but uh, some of the producers on on Shark Tank had seen us on that show, thought it was really exciting and interesting, um, and they invited us to audition, and we auditioned, and they were like, hey, come out to LA, let's do this thing. Um, and yeah, we were like, yeah, we were just humbled and floored and excited and nervous, and uh, we headed out there, put, it, put you up in a hotel, and we practiced and studied and knew we just like practice every little in and out of our business and you know how you prep for those things is you just like come up with a doc of like all the crazy questions that you think they could ever ask you and you watch the marathons and get scared by the episode where they just rip people apart and (laughs) we're coming on there with bats which as we've talked about is a controversial topic um but you know we were very i was very optimistic going into it where 
the judges on on that show like the big tv personalities but like they're well educated they're forward thinking like we really betted that they were willing to be very open-minded about this animal um <laughs> and then of course we were like you know let's throw in another wrench let's what what if we brought a live bat on oh. stage we're like, <laughs> yeah. we're like that's let's do it and so we got a bat handler to bring a bat on stage Brilliant. um and yeah, I mean, we're not going to lie to you. Like, it was very stressful. It's a one, it's a one take thing on that show. What you see uh, as viewer on there, like, that was a one take those people got, and whatever happens, happens. Um, and we were fortunate. That I, yeah, I thought it went really well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was the goal just to get more exposure at that point, or did you feel that Indiegogo wasn't enough funding to really start? Yeah, I think at that early stage of the business. Um, I think it's a combination, right? Where we were still so early on that we were very excited to explore like what an investment, what a partnership could look like with what right shark to help the business move forward or kind of leap forward. Um, so that was very exciting. Mm -hmm. Of course, the exposure is fantastic for any brand who goes on there. Our sales when the episode air skyrocketed, which was really exciting. Um, so that is always a, a major boon of being on the show. Um, so it's kind of just, just everything, just being excited about the the possibilities that could result, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'd also say it's, it was a really good process for us to go through as a business because it kind of made us tighten, tighten things up, um, mm -hmm. make sure we really knew our stuff. Um, and so, yeah, so I think it was just, that was really healthy for us um, oh, yeah. in general. Um, yeah. We were kind of in our baby years and that forced us into our, early teenage years yeah kind of a sprint mode just to get ready before the episode aired and now we're kind of entering our more adult years as a business mm -hmm. right yeah yeah i mean we we broadened our product offering um at, be before the episode aired it was at, after we filmed but um before the episode aired we broadened our product offering um and i think um it started making us think about it um I mean, we were thinking about it seriously before, but I think it, it um, just ratcheted it up that yeah. external yeah. pressure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. And what year was that? That was 2019 or? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Relatively recently. And yeah. then 2020, you were named, both of you were named to Forbes 30 under 30. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Very nice. So the accolades started rolling in and you started, like you said, you did a bunch of press. There was a whole media whirlwind. You were doing all kinds of stuff like that. Would you say that at that point, the business was definitely self-sustaining? Did you feel like, okay, we're, we're really rolling now? Or? Yeah. I mean, it's never self-sustaining. And I think a lot of people look at media accolades and think, oh my God, like that's they must be doing so well and they must be thriving and this and that and like media accolades are awesome like they're fantastic they're helpful they give you a boost but they're never gonna drive a business into the next stage like that's just not not a real thing so i think we we've done well with our business and we keep growing year over year we are profitable um but it's not like any of those media uh, appearances like totally changed the game for us right it's mm -hmm. like it's still grit, rolling up our sleeves, hard work, like pushing this thing forward. Um, as we've grown, we've continued to expand our team. Um, we, we're now a team of five of us together part okay. time. We're all really passionate about 
Airbnb and conservation who continue to push this thing forward. And we're kind of in an evolution stage right now where we're thinking about, okay, what's next for us? Like we've got some new products we're thinking about. What's the next evolution of the business look like? Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that really answered what you were going for, but yeah. Yeah, no, it, it does. I think it's important that we clear that up as well. People think, oh, Kevin O'Leary invests. That's the end of it. That's the end of all of your troubles. It's, it's, it's game over. But Yeah, and I, and I think for us, when I think about, when I reflect on the media success we had, right, is like we, we ran a great media outreach blitz. I ran a, like we created awesome templates and cadences and this and that. Um, but we were also very fortunate in like the subject matter we chose, right? And that like when a journalist or a producer sees Bat-P&B, like 50% of their audience will think, Ooh, bats, like Dracula, scary, like, ooh, I don't know about that. The other 50% will think, huh, bats, how many bugs do they eat? That's fascinating. I've never right. heard of that before. But everybody has a reaction to it, right? Like everybody reacts. And that's what media cares about. They want to engage their audience. Uh, when if we had come up with the next like wearable tech gadget, vast majority of people out there are gonna be like, well, I don't care. There are a million of those. Like, what's special? Like, that's not interesting to me. So I think that was another big component of, of where we got success with media, just mm-hmm. framing the content uh, in the right way. Makes perfect sense. And I see that you have, uh, you believe that you have provided safe homes for over 600,000 bats. Is that number still accurate or is it more than that? I think, yeah. it's, I think we're probably think so. nearing at least a million. A million. Yeah. Yeah. At least. That's incredible. And you have customers now, thousands of customers, 50 states, 13 countries. So the word is getting out there. How has the reaction been to the people who have done this? Have they said, I never get mosquitoes in my yard? I mean, are people giving you positive reviews? Yeah, I mean, general reviews have been fantastic. People seem to like the product. Um, uh, Yeah, we've had many customers report back that they have seen a pest reduction in their area. Um, we have yet, we have ideas for the future to kind of deploy some more like scientific teams of biologists to like really measure like what impact can be if you deploy say five bat houses in a certain square acreage and, and what that means um, in terms of real impacts. We haven't really done those studies yet, mm-hmm. um, but anecdotally we've, we've heard success from businesses, sorry, from, from customers, but like we talked about earlier too, like putting up a bat house. It's not going to eliminate all your mosquitoes and pests. Like that's just not true. It is a a portion of an overall strategy you can deploy for your home without using pesticides um, that can create a better natural option for you to reduce uh, bug populations, mm-hmm. pest populations. Pest not, population, yeah. not the good bugs. We love our ladybugs and we love our bees and um, a lot of other great bugs. Mm-hmm. All right, time for a quick, 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 quick little breaky poo here. Just interrupt to say the same old thing, then harping on it and harping on it. That's because you haven't done it. Just kidding. Maybe you have. Some of you out there haven't done it. I know you haven't done it. If you enjoy the show, just a friendly reminder, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Better yet, rate it five stars, leave a friendly review, and of course, the holy grail, share this, share any episode with anybody. That's right, anybody. Could be your grandma, could be your kids, could be your spouse, could be that crazy uncle, could be somebody that you work with. Share the podcast, help it grow, so that I can continue to bring more 
amazing stories to you from people who really deserve the exposure and who deserve to have their story told. That's it. Simple little plug. I'll see you back in the episode. And they're selective like that. They'll only <laughs> they'll only go after the bugs that we consider pests. They don't kill any of the ones that we like. When I yeah, when I call it ladybugs and bees, it's more of a daytime nighttime thing, right? Where right. like ladybugs and bees and a lot of the bugs that we we prefer in our yards, um, they're more active during the day, mm-hmm. um, while uh, bats will be hunting more at night. When you get more of the armyworm moths and the mosquitoes and, and so on and so forth. Sure. Well, now that you're into this uh, pretty far, what's the next? Uh, this is always the thing that everybody wants to know. But what the next few years, or where do you see this heading? Is it just mainly about increasing awareness about bats in general, or what do the next five years look like? You think? Yeah, it's a great question. One that we've been talking a lot about uh, recently, and I think if you think about uh, kind of the ethos of our brand, what we've done with bats, right? It is creating a bridge to allow consumers out there to engage, connect, and learn about an animal um, that lives in their own backyard, just in a new way, right? And, and learn how to appreciate. Uh, and we, we, more so than any other brand out there, we lead heavily with education. We have amazing content on our website. We create amazing YouTube videos. We create an educational kit for teachers this past Halloween to like educate in classrooms. While most other competitors out there will say like, here's a bad house, here's one line description and go buy it on on Amazon, whatever. Um, So as we think about the future, like there's so much more for us to do in the bad house space, right? Like there's a massive market for us to capitalize on there and just get it out to more homes in North America and spread out internationally. Um, But we're also thinking about what are other critters and creatures out there that um, folks aren't, as aware of, or maybe not as connected with in the way that they should be. And, and we think a lot about kids' education as well, where we all know that kids are spending less out time, less time outdoors, they're on their screens all the time. How can we create fun content and products to encourage kids and families to just get outside and engage in their backyard? And we're thinking about bug houses and bee houses and squirrel houses and bird houses and kind of doing it in the bat BNB way though, where we really encourage um, people to engage and be educated and, and value these creatures that live all around us. So that's something we're talking a lot about that we're hoping to bring about in, in, in 2022. And, and of course, of course we need the birdhouse just so we can do the Batman and Robin special <laughs> sale um, is, is a big component of that. Uh, we're also talking about, installing bigger bat houses for like parks and municipalities to have kind of a larger impact um, in cities. I don't know if you've ever been to the bridge uh, out in Austin. I've um, seen many a video of it and it's, it looks yeah. insane. I've seen bridges yeah. like that elsewhere, but not yeah. that particular bridge. Yeah. They've got, mm-hmm. a, they've got a bat colony under there. I forget. It's not like 20 million or something. It's pouring out. Yeah. They, it is a massive tourist attraction for Austin. Another data point we share, there's never been a case, a known case of anyone being harmed by a bat in Austin and yet it has millions of visitors every year. Mm -hmm. Um, But to that point, like, is there a way that you can install larger bat house installations in communities that it can be another great way to like, A, reduce pest populations, but B, educate visitors and create programming around bats and engage with schools and classrooms and and municipalities and, and so on. So those are those are two different avenues we're we're talking about right now. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's all truly wonderful, and I'm on board with all of that. That sounds incredible. What a great mission. Um, I support it wholeheartedly. And one thing that we didn't touch on as we kind of roll towards the end of our time here is 26 billion in pesticide savings for the agriculture industry. We didn't really touch on pesticides and why they're so bad. Why is that such a huge problem other than the expense? I mean, so, so yeah, so many things, right? <laughs> Again, we could go on for this for, for quite a while, but like whether you're thinking backyard pesticides or you're thinking um, pesticides at scale in agriculture, right? Like if you take for your backyard, a lot of pesticides are known for being harmful and irritant to your skin, uh, known for killing local wildlife, damaging natural um, flora that would grow in your yard. Otherwise, the list goes on. <laughs> so many bad things. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think on the larger scale, like agricultural side, like, I mean, it's the whole, I don't want to go into the whole like Monsanto and things. Right. that Because we're not allowed to. Oh, careful. Can't yeah, criticize Monsanto. Like, they're already they're at your house. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's just bad stuff. They were spraying in the air. And like, Super I, bad. you can share a bunch of articles and content with your viewers, but like, it's mm -hmm. just not good shit that they're putting in that stuff. No. And yet, cities have massive, uh, like, mosquito abatement budgets where they're just filling up an airplane with this nasty chemicals and they're literally just air spraying it over an entire community. And there's been a lot of studies out there that that shit's not good for us. Right. Um, surprise, surprise. Right. <laughs> uh, so the more that you can get off of pesticides, protect your local flora and fauna and invest in better natural solutions. It's just all around a good thing. Mm -hmm. And on a and complete, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, there's also research, I was just going to say, that um, um, some of the uh, pests are becoming resistant mm -hmm. of course. to the, uh, yeah, to the pesticides too. So it's, uh, that's another problem. So. And on an unrelated note, everybody has cancer now, but there's no, <laughs> just yeah. completely unrelated. That's yep. just, uh, just a coincidence, I'm sure. Correlation <laughs> causation. Yeah, no, it's clearly, there's nothing, nothing to do there. Um, well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time with this. Um, I want to ask a couple rapid fire questions before we, uh, before I let you go. Uh, I guess one of them is what is a clear example where you really defied conventional wisdom, where you really went against the often path and found success? Hmm. Let's see. I mean, a couple, yeah, one I can think of was, I mean, even this past year, kind of timely, right, with COVID-19 uh, and all the stories that originated from Bass and Wuhan and this and that and all the misinformation that is around there. And, like, the reality, right, is that in the U.S., for example, right now, humans are way more likely to give COVID to a bat than a bat is ever to give COVID to a human in North America. And there's not a lot of confusion around that. And I think we, because of all of the misinformation, uh, a lot of people are like, Hey, you got to downplay yourself a little bit during all this COVID craziness. Like you got to be more cautious and careful. And we were like, no, like we got to educate people. We got to lean into this. Like we can't stop promoting our message just because there's fear out there. And like that fear will always continue again, ever since Bram Stoker started this thing, like that is what we are fighting against. 
And lo and behold, last year, the year of COVID, like we had our best year ever. Like we leaned in, we engaged with the community and we gave all these people who were scared and hiding in their homes and afraid of being out in public a really awesome product to engage with their family and play in the backyard and put it up and like connect with one another and learn about a new animal. And like, and we had a great year. And like, I guess that's kind of an off the beaten path is like, don't, don't psych yourself out uh, on things like that and just keep staying true to who you are and the messaging you're putting out there and it's going to work out. Um, so I think that's one, one good example. Yeah. That's a wonderful piece. And what would you say the best, and this is a two-parter because there's two of you, best piece of advice you've ever received? Ooh. I got to think about that one for a while. Uh, hold on. Well, um, I mean, I, I don't know who I received it from um, or if it's just a, a general ethos that I picked up over the years, but um, I think it's on on topic uh, here. Um, I think, you know, not being afraid to say yes, just committing um, to doing something has really, like, I think that's been a huge thing that I've learned through, through doing this, you know, starting this business. Um, like, originally, I probably would not have, you know, put myself out there enough to, uh, you know, to go on Shark Tank and stuff. That's, that sounds scary. <laughs> so It sounds scary uh, to me and I've never done it. Yeah. But I mean, like we just, we committed and, and we started taking the steps to, to get there. And, and that's how we've done everything with this business is just, we started, um, by saying, by committing and, and then the rest kind of followed and, yeah. and it wasn't, nearly as hard after you know after you do make that commitment. yeah and how you grow and develop by doing that right like, yeah um, harrison when we first started doing this like he got really nervous reading his lines in front of a camera now you're freaking pro like you're just going <laughs> oh, camera and just out and just roll it like you know when you say yes to these things you just grow develop and challenge yourself and yeah um best piece of advice i've gotten i think i've touched on it lightly before but it really is just being cognizant of what you're good at and being very aware of your own limitations, right? Where when I was younger, I always thought that, oh, well, I need to teach myself uh, Adobe Suite. I need to teach myself some basic programming. I need to be able to do this part and that part. And sometimes that can work, but in all reality, like just know that like, hey, I'm really good at this. Harrison, you're really good at this. We both suck at this. We both suck at that. We both suck at that. We don't have time to learn and be good ourselves. We're going to hire that person. We're going to contract this out. We're going to outsource this. And we keep doing what we're great at. Um, and we build a machine and allies and resources to push across um, in the other areas. And that's going to give you much more acceleration rather than trying to carry it all yourself. And I think especially with running a business part-time like this, you just got to be very smart around creating processes, automation, and simple systems that won't drive you crazy uh, and but will sustainably push your business forward. That's a great way to wrap it up. I think that's perfect. Well, again, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate you guys, both both of you. I get two for one here, which is amazing. Sitting down, 
explaining your story to me and to the audience. And I want to leave you with the floor to wrap it up. So what are some parting words? What do you want people to know, to learn about, to follow, to buy? Floor is yours to end this episode. I really appreciate that. that. And this was a great time. We had an awesome time chatting with Mm -hmm. you. Uh, uh, you. But yeah, I think parting words for your audience is, is really just what we talked about, right? Is like, hey, take some time, check out batbnb.com, check out Merlin Tuttle's Bat Conservation. Like just, if you don't know anything about bats, if you think you're scared of bats, like just take a minute to learn about them and think about it for another time. And uh, yeah, these animals are amazing and they need our help right now. And we need people to pay attention to it. Uh, And I don't know when this thing's gonna air, Ross, but we're running a crazy good winter sale right now for the holidays. Be, be that be that person who doesn't give the boring gift of socks and instead spice it up this holiday season with uh, uh, a nice bat b uh, to your loved ones. Is it going to run through January? <laughs> I don't exactly know. <laughs> for, you, for you, we will. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll work out day. We'll work out a special code or something <laughs> like that. I want to make sure nobody gets left behind. Whenever oh. you're hearing this, we'll figure it out because we don't know what yeah. it will be. And uh, again, thank you so much. I'd like to tell the audience, don't watch Contagion ever. (laughs) (laughs) Gwyneth Paltrow is a liar. She's full of shit. (laughs) All fake news. (laughs) All fake news. The whole movie is a lie. But again, thank you both. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over. What a great episode that was. You know, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's the little things, it's always the little things, those little unnoticed details that can have a massive impact. That's why this story is so tremendous. We really need to spread the word about bats being a positive force, and also, I love that they've built a company as a way to not only do that for the world, but as also a way for them to find meaning in their own lives. It's that duality that I'm most fascinated with on this show. Obviously, if you like any of these stories and if you like this story, if you learned something new about bats or if they inspired you to build your own business in a more sustainable or eco-friendly way, then I would say please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Rate the show five stars. Help it grow. Share these episodes with people who need to hear it. That's the only way word about these kinds of things gets out. So if you've appreciated anything at all, do those things, help it grow, tell a friend, tell somebody who needs to hear it. And again, thank you very much just for listening. I appreciate you more than you know, and I'll see you next week on the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm Ross Palmer.